You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at the church and want to welcome everybody to a special, a special day. It's, a, it's New Year's Eve. And uh, that's, that's kind of special. Uh, it's uh, an interesting day for Lord's Day, and it is family worship, so we have some of our, our, uh, our kids in with us, and we just want to welcome you as well, kids. Thanks so much for being a part of, uh, of today's special service. You know, New Year's Eve is an interesting day in and of itself, and it's interesting season, interesting moment, right? It's right after, you know, all the joys of, of Advent and Christmas, and, and you're starting to look into the new year, starting to make some... Um, resolutions and resolves and all that kind of stuff. My wife and I were uh, with some friends at Grandscape just a couple of nights ago, and I noticed that the the movies that were on display that you could watch, uh, one, on the one hand, you could see Wonka, uh, and I've heard that's good. I haven't seen it. heard it's good. And then on the other hand, you could see The Iron Claw. And I just thought that's an interesting contrast. I've seen any of those movies, but interesting contrast of what people are going to go see uh, over the next couple of days. It's sort of, you're, you're leaving the magic and the wonder of Advent and of, of Christmas and heading into grit and determination and drama. And that's so much of what these days, these days are. And so, uh, so as I've thought about that, you know, uh, someone speaks to us about how to grab hold of joy, to not leave that behind as we move from Advent and Christmas season and into 2024 with a bunch of unknowns, because that's the reality is that we're walking into lots and lots of unknowns of what this this year holds. And the, the last thing we want to do on a Sunday like this is just sort of turn the page and say, well, you know, Advent was, was then and all the, the magic was there and the, the joy and all of that was emphasized at Advent, but now we move on to something else. We want to grab hold of joy in 2024 and experience more of it, not leave any of that behind And the way that we do that, that Psalm 1 is going to teach us today, is not by chasing an ethereal feeling, but by tightening our grip on God's Word. That God's Word is His means by which we would experience more joy in our life. And so today we're going to be talking about how we can together tighten our grip on God's Word and experience more of His joy in the new year. So what I'm going to do is read Psalm 1 and pray And then we're going to go ahead and get started. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would bless both the reading and the preaching of your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive and respond to everything that you show us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, in Psalm 1, you have a very simple structure. You see some choices that the blessed man makes in verses 1 and 2, and those have some immediate results 
in the next couple of verses, 3 and 4, and then you have consequences, long-term, sort of eternal consequences in verses 5 and 6. So choices, results, and then those consequences. Well, verse 1 starts us off with what those choices are. It says, blessed is the man. Now, ladies, don't get hung up on that. That means men and women. It's just, just using man to just as a symbolism here. Blessed is the man. Now, blessed means happy and joyful. And that's an interesting place for Psalm 1 to start. It's a very interesting place for, uh, for all of the Psalms to start. 150 of them starts with this one word, which means happy, joyful, whole. Uh, this, this biblical idea, this Hebrew word of shalom is all imported in this word, blessed. Now, that's great because the Bible assumes you and I want blessing. Uh, the Bible assumes this about you. The Bible knows you and knows me and assumes that we desire happiness and blessing. You could translate that, oh, the happiness of the one who does the following things. It's, it's a call to, to, to connect with who you are and what you, what you mostly desire. The old French uh, philosopher Blaise Pascal, I read this in college and it stuck with me, said this. He said, all men... Seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. So it's not as though you just got like these really good guys out there and these really bad guys we have bad choices because we have a bad desire and, and a bad definition of what happiness is. Everybody is pursuing happiness. They just define it differently. And if your happiness uh, is, is evil, then that's the, 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 the step of your will, Blaise Pascal says this, because everybody seeks happiness without exception. So that's true of you right now. I, I mean, I know everything about you. Here's what I do know about you. That you desire happiness and you seek it every day. Well, it's not just philosophers that know this. Jesus taught this. In John 15, he said things like this. These things I've spoken to you that, hear this, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Can you imagine a God who desires you and I, to experience the kind of joy that he himself has to the full. I mean, that's amazing that our God wants us to be happy, wants us to experience fullness of joy. In John 16, he says, ask and you'll receive that your joy, notice, may be full, overflowing. Jesus wants you and I to experience overflowing joy, and that's just really good news. Well, that's where... Psalm 1 starts, and, and, and that's a lot of what Christ taught. And then, and then we're, we're, we're sort of shown exactly what not to do in order to experience this fullness of joy. Notice verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So happiness here comes two ways. It's avoiding certain things, and it's doing certain things. Notice the actions are walking Standing and sitting. Do you notice the progression? Nobody starts by sitting. They start by walking, and then they move to standing, and then they end up sitting. 
So and notice the places, counsel, the way, and then the seat. And notice the people, the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers. So nobody, nobody begins by sitting down in the seat. They sat down because they stood in the way of sinners. And they got there because they walked in their counsel. Okay? So that's the progression of what the blessed man voids is basically what the psalm says. Well, who are the scoffers? That's an interesting word, right? What does that mean? It's not just somebody that disagrees with you. It's somebody that mocks and laughs at your beliefs. Second Peter tells us scoffers will come in the last day, scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where's the promise of his coming? You, you hear that today? Anybody hear that idea out there in the culture? That's the scoffer. Where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. It's sort of the agnostic spirit of the age, atheistic vibe that we pick up everywhere. Where's the promise? Who is he anyway? Everything continues on as it always has been. That's the way of the sinner. That's the counsel of the wicked. And some in the room here and some who are joining online are in that way. And you are listening to that counsel. And the warning to you is you're moving away from happiness and joy. You're, you're actually in the way now, if that's the word you're listening to, if that's the counsel you're receiving, if you're tempted to e even join their voices because you've sat in the seat of the scoffers and, and you're, you're tempted now to echo, where is the promise after all of his coming? You're in the counsel of the wicked, and you're moving towards misery and away from blessedness. You're moving away from happiness. Well, notice verse 2. Blessed is the man who does the following things. His delight is located somewhere. Delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, to meditate, uh, remove, remove from your thinking this idea that meditation means to empty your mind. Um, that is sort of Eastern transcendental meditation is to sort of remove things from your mind. The biblical idea of meditation is to fill your mind. The Hebrew word means literally to utter or to mutter. That means like to speak truth out loud, to, to say it over and over again. Kind of like if you were to memorize something, you would say it out loud. Hear yourself say it and say it over and over again. And it also means to muse or to imagine that's what it means to meditate. It means to imagine all the ways that this truth that I'm thinking about and processing over and over again in my mind is true. Just imagine all the ways that that's true in the world and, and true in your own life. It can actually be translated to chew the cud. Anybody got uh, a cow? Anybody seen a cattle out there chewing the cud? It's not like they don't just eat something and swallow it. They chew it, and they chew it, and they chew it, and that's all they do. If you look at a cow, that's all they're ever doing. They're constantly chewing the cud, and that's what we're, we're called to do. That's what it means to meditate. It's an ancient Christian art in an age of distraction. You and I are constantly distracted today, and, and this is this ancient idea of processing a truth over and over again 
in your mind and sort of chewing the cud. Now, if that sounds a little grotesque, listen to what Jeremiah 15 says. And it's actually the coloring page that we gave you kids. Your words were found, Jeremiah said, and I ate them. Now, he didn't actually take a, take a scroll, take a piece of the scroll and start chewing it up and swallow it. He says, I meditated on it. Your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. That's what happens when we meditate on something that at first glance doesn't seem very delightful. But as we do so, his words, these words, become joy. They become delight to our hearts. The psalmist says, I will ponder your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. That's what it means to meditate, ponder. It's an engagement of the mind. Let me remember my song in the night, the psalmist says. Let me meditate in my heart. To remember is to meditate, is to engage in this ancient Christian art. Donald Whitney in his book, Spiritual Disciplines of a Christian Life, says it this way. He says, a simple analogy would be a cup of tea. You are the cup of hot water and the intake of scripture is represented by the tea bag. Hearing God's word is like one dip of the tea bag into the cup. Some of the tea's flavor is absorbed by the water, but not as much as would occur with a more thorough soaking of the bag. In this analogy, reading, studying, memorizing God's word are represented by additional plunges of the tea bag into the cup. The more frequently the tea enters the water, the more effect it has. Meditation, however, is like immersing the bag completely and letting it steep until all the rich tea flavor has been extracted and the hot water is thoroughly tinctured reddish brown. This is what we need in an age of distraction. We need to recover this, and we can do this together. So those are the choices. Now notice the, the immediate results of verse 3. The person who does this is like a tree planted by streams of water. So the, the word is this ever-flowing stream of life-giving water. And if you do this, you're a tree planted by those streams. And notice, yielding its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's, those are some unblushing promises. Listen to this. You will be, if you do this, stable and planted, satisfied because you're by the streams of water. You'll be fruitful, yielding fruit. You'll be enduring when other people are not and they're giving up and they're withering, withering away. You are not. You are enduring. And you're safe. You're a safe person because in all that you do, you prosper. Well, have you ever sat under the shade of that kind of person in your life? They were stable, prospering, fruitful. You, you just found yourself finding shade under their branches. You found yourself enjoying sort of fruit from their life. Well, if, if that's true of you, you probably met a person or know a person or was discipled or mentored by a person 
who is planted by streams of water and whose leaf, uh, whose, whose leaves did not wither and was, uh, was fruitful. And you can be that kind of person this year. In 2024, imagine being that for people throughout the year. When everybody else is giving up or when everybody else's branches are withering, you are strong, you are stable, you are safe, you are enduring, you are fruitful. Well, verse 4 says the wicked are not so. This is why it's so important to plant your life in the streams of water and not in the counsel of the wicked because the wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. And the tra- chaff is like the husks and the straw removed at the threshing floor. In other words, there's no weight to them at all. Their counsel was so important and so elevated. And, you know, everybody just thought it was so important to hear the counsel of this wicked person. And yet, there's no weight to their counsel. There's no weight to them. As soon as any real wind touches them, they're gone. They fly away like the chaff. There's nothing heavy to it. It's not rooted to anything. And so be very careful if that's the counsel you're listening to. The wind's going to drive it away. And if you're caught up in that counsel, you're going to be driven away with the wind. That's what happens with chaff. So it couldn't be more important how we interpret Psalm 1. You have two options. You've got, on the one hand, a tree. The tree is represented by endless growth. Personal delight, bearing fruit, sustainable in good times and bad, providing shade to people. And on the other hand, you've got the chaff. Unstable, tossed around, chasing shelter, purposeless. That's significant. And and it gets even more significant in verses 5 and 6. Notice the consequences of all of this. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is ultimately what the thief comes to do. Jesus said in John 10, he, he talks a lot about joy, and then he talked about the thief of joy, who is the devil. He says, the thief comes only to steal, only to kill, only to destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. This is the ultimate consequence of what the thief comes to do. To drive you away from the congregation of the righteous. And Jesus comes that we might have life. Well, what does this mean for us practically? How do we delight in the word of God day and night? Well, please don't miss this. This is one of the most important things I'm about to say. And it could be very confusing because what I've just shared are these sort of promises of of the kind of people that we want to be in 2024. And yet, on our best year, our best week, and our best days, we fail to measure up to what Psalm 1 teaches. And if we don't get hold of this, we will end up like the self-righteous Pharisees. Jesus told a bunch of people who thought they were the embodiment of Psalm 1, or thought that they could actually fulfill Psalm 1, without God's grace and without a Savior to fulfill it for them. He said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. 
In other words, they would look at Psalm 1 and they would say, my performance, if I just gear it up, I'll become this righteous person. And they didn't think they needed a Savior. But what this teaches us is that no one stands in the assembly of the righteous. Because Romans 3.23 says there's no one righteous. No, not one. You see, the complicated part of reading Psalm 1 is, is not as though God is saying, I want you to perform these actions in order to be righteous. I want you to first, first step back and recognize, I don't deserve to stand in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I, I've listened to the counsel of the wicked. I've, I've gone in their way, and I've made bad choices. I don't deserve to, to be among the righteous. So something has to happen. Well, praise God, Jesus is the one who is the tree, ultimately, who is planted by streams of water. Jesus is the blessed one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, never stood in the way of sinners, never sat in the seat of scoffers, always delighted in the law of God, always meditated on his law, listen, day and night, day and night without fail. He's the tree. He's the one that's planted by streams of water. He's the one who yields its fruit in every season, and he's the one whose leaf never withers. In all that Jesus does, he prospers. And the invitation of 2024 is that he, he puts his nail-scarred hands out to, to believer and unbeliever today and says, come to me. If you're weary and if you're heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Don't refuse me. Don't read someone and, and think, well, then I'll do it apart from God's grace and I'll achieve a righteousness. You, you've already failed. But Jesus hasn't, and he invites us all, weary and heavy laden, into a rest. So, so first off, we apply this psalm by remembering the gospel. I open my Bible to know Jesus and the gospel. And I open my Bible to come to him. I don't open the Bible as a platform. It doesn't matter how many verses I memorize or how consistent I am in my quiet times. That's what the Pharisees were. They were the most consistent self-disciplined people in the world, and they knew it. And they looked down their nose at everybody who wasn't and refused Jesus' grace because they thought they had enough in themselves. And Jesus says, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. All of that's about me. That's what he says to us. Psalm 1 is about me. Come to me that you may have life. So I, I, that, I don't want to confuse you. That's, that's, that is what we start with. We start by remembering the gospel. Number two, we remember God's grace. Not just the pardoning mercy of God's grace as we enter into 2024, but the empowering mercy of grace. That's the other side of grace sometimes we miss. Grace isn't just God's forgiveness, as amazing as that is. It's his power. It's his power. In Psalm 119, we're told this, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Isn't that amazing that the Psalms give us promises like that? If you don't give me grace, I'm not going to experience life in your ways. I'm completely helpless. That's the pathway of humility. I am helpless 
and I need your life. Psalm 119.18, open my eyes is the prayer. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I won't see, the psalmist says, unless you give me grace, the power to open up my eyes. The psalmist says, enlarge my heart and I'll run in the way of your commandments. How do we run in the way of his commandments? Only if by grace he enlarges our hearts. Incline my heart. It's a great action word. God, I want you to do in 2024. I want you to incline my heart to your testimonies. Because if you don't incline my heart, I'm not going to enjoy your testimonies and experience the delight that I'm supposed to. Instead, I'll experience selfish gain. Incline my heart to that and not to selfish gain. I'm a naturally selfish person. Therefore, God, please have mercy on me and give me power and grace. Hold me up. Psalm 117 says, hold me up that I may be safe and regard your statutes. So this is important. We not only remember the gospel, remember God's grace in the gospel. We are the needy ones, and he is the one who gives us all the power that we're going to need in order to delight in God's word. And to close, let's talk about something very practical. I want to be as practical as practical as I can in a large setting. And and here's the last thing I want to say is in 2024, let's together commit to this. Let's create a rope you hold on to every day. You personally are going to create a rope that you hold on to every day. Here's what I mean by that. Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Leader, says it this way. He says, "There's there's a story about farmers in the Midwest who would prepare for blizzards by tying a rope from the back door of their house out to the barn as a guide to ensure that they could return safely home. So they had to go out to the barn every single day. But blizzards would appear out of nowhere, and they got to get back home, and so they'd tie a rope. He says, these blizzards came quickly and fiercely and were highly dangerous. When their full force was blowing, a farmer could not see the end of his or her hand. Many froze to death in those blizzards, disoriented by their inability to see. They wandered in circles, lost sometimes in their own backyards. If they lost their grip on the rope, it became impossible for them to find their way home. Some froze within a feet of their own front door, never realizing how close they were to safety. So I want you to think about the fact that every day in 2024, you've got to walk out of your house and into some unknown storms. And for some of you, it's going to be some unknown and unexpected blizzards that are going to come. And a rope is not anything really fancy. It's not, uh, in the daylight, it, it just looks very, very normal and very, very ordinary. But that very ordinary, normal thing that is out there every day that you see, if you grab hold of, is life to you and a a life-saving thing in the midst of a blizzard and will tether you to home. It'll keep you home and keep you safe and keep you protected no matter what comes your way. Now, every rope has at least three cords. So here's what I want to share with you to help you maybe remember uh, to design your own rope using these three cords, okay? Uh, Here's the cords for your rope. A time, a place, 
and a plan. And I wonder if we could say that together. I've shared this in the past, but could we say it together? A time, a place, and a plan. One more time just so that we remember it. We're uttering together. We're muttering together. A time, a place, and a plan. Those are the three chords for your rope. Those are the three chords that Jesus used in, in sorry, Mark 1.35. Notice, in rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Notice the time, very early in the morning, while it was still dark. Notice the place, the desolate place, a deserted place, a place where nobody was. That's very important as we think about a, a place to meet with God. It doesn't have to be, the, the, I don't know what you, what you would imagine, but it just needs to be a lonely place isolated place where you can be with God. It can be anywhere, but it needs to be desolate. And there he prayed. He had a plan. He had a plan when he went to bed. He, he, he knew he was going to get up early before everybody else was up while it was still dark, and he had a plan to pray. I was uh, meeting with a, uh, a pastor friend recently, and I was just talking about a lot of changes that are taking place in my life right now with the, this, the church plant and all of, all of the things that, that need to happen and all the unknown things that, that uh, thank God, I'm not even fully aware of all the stuff that needs to happen. Uh, so there's just a lot of anxiety, and I was just talking to him about it, and he made a statement that I thought was super helpful. He said, you know, think about adding more structure in your life because structure binds anxiety. Structure binds anxiety. Boring disciplines and boring routines can cage anxiety and fear. And, and that's what this is. Th think of this rope as an ordinary means of binding anxiety because you're adding structure into your life. So for some of you, it may be as simple as this. Your time is going to be on your commute. Your place is your car. And your plan is you're going to listen to God's word and go through a prayer list. Something simple like that. That's your plan. Uh, if you're a student, I was talking to one student recently, and this is what he, he did. Uh, your time may, might be at lunch, at your table, during power hour. Uh, and your plan is I'm just going to open up God's word and read and pray. That's, that's your rope. For, for others, you know, if you're a mom with kids at home, uh, it might be at nap time, whenever that is. You know, you don't have an exact time. But when that is, at my chair, I'm going to read a chapter out of the Bible. And that's my rope. That's the, the thing I'm going to add into my life. That's the structure I'm going to add into my life that is going to help me with anxiety. You could, you could be here today and say, well, I've got a lot more anxiety than that, and I need a lot more rope. Well, guess what? Here's the freedom. You have the freedom to add as much rope into your life as you need. If you need more rope, just add more rope. So you could say, I have sort of a morning routine that's really working for me, but I, I, I'm going to bed just anxious and worried. And Well, add in another time, place, and plan. You could Bef you know, while you're getting ready for bed, that's your time, go into your closet, that's your place, and kneel down and pray. 60 seconds. 
But that, that adding that structure in and doing it every single day becomes an added rope in your blizzard. You could say, uh, when my alarm goes off three times a day, wherever I am, I'm going to stop and pray. You could stop and pray about different things in those different times. So there's a lot of freedom here. And sometimes that's unhelpful because some, some people are just like, give me a plan. <laughs> and we're not rolling one of those out. But there's a lot of freedom to design a plan that fits your life. You say, what, what kind of plan should I use? Well, the plan that works for you and that you'll do every single day. So here's an option. We're going through the book of Acts together. Uh, at, at one point, we gave out uh, whole, whole books out there, and I think we can still get one. You could read a chapter a day from the book of Acts as we're continuing to, to go through that on Sundays. Uh, another option is you can read a Bible reading app like uh, using Version. Anybody use Version out there? It's a fantastic app. Use it every day. Uh, you could read a psalm every day. That's, that could be your rope. You could say, I'm going to go through one psalm a day. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to speak some of the truths out loud. I'm going to think about the way that this applies to my life. Uh, whether it's for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or longer, that's what I'm going to do every single day. If you want to go liturgical, you could pray the offices daily. I've done that. did that over uh, my sabbatical and really enjoyed that. That's a lot of structure if you do that kind of thing. Um, again, you could set your alarm to pray at different times in the day. You could get creative. You could set your alarm to pray at different times of the day and then change your physical position. You could say, in, in the morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand and pray. Uh, at lunch, I'm going to take a short walk, if you can do that with, with your work situation. Uh, at night, before I go to bed, I'm going to kneel. And you can change your positions, even pray about different things uh, at each of those times. You can design your plan the way... Uh, that works for you. You could join a triad of people. There are men going through Every Man a Warrior. There are students going through challenge groups. Uh, there are ladies Bible studies. You could join a triad of people and do a deep dive into something, and that could be your rope for 2024. You could do family devotions using our Grace Kids weekly resource page. You just go on the website, and there's a family guide that you can use uh, either every day or a couple of nights uh, a week. But, but it's important to have a plan. There's a lot of different plans out there. There's a lot of different Bible reading plans that you can use. It's important to take some time and think through what your plan is. I believe that Jesus, before he went to bed, that we just read about in Mark, had his plan in place. And, and don't overthink it. Don't think you can't change your plan. Don't think it has to be the perfect plan. There is no perfect plan. There is no perfect plan. And, and you have the freedom to, after you've started a plan, to change your plan. You can change the plan anytime you want. Okay? There's freedom here, but do something every single day. That's, that's, the, that's the idea here. That's, it's a rope that's helpful. Grab hold of it every day. James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits. Not a Christian book, but it is a book about habits. Super helpful. He says, the difference a tiny improvement can make over time is astounding. Here's how the math works out. If you can get 1% better each day for one year, you'll end up 37 times better by the time you're done. All big things come from small beginnings. The seed of every habit is a single tiny decision. That's why the book's called Atomic. Tiny, subatomic, just tiny little habit done every day over time has a cumulative 
effect. Roots entrench themselves and branches grow. The task of breaking a bad habit is like uprooting a powerful oak within us. And the task of building a good habit is like cultivating a delicate flower one day at a time until it becomes a powerful oak. So I have shared this illustration in the past, and this is how I'm going to end, is by sharing, a couple years ago I shared this, but there's enough new people that you haven't seen this. Um, When I was a kid, when I was a kid, my mother put an orange in my lunchbox every single day until I started to make my own lunch, and then I had to put an orange in my lunchbox. How many students, how many kids in here, you make your own lunch every day? Anybody still do that kind of thing? Well, that's good. I'm glad a few of you are saving money. Um, I had an orange every single day that I remember. Maybe it was an apple some days, but what I remember is there was an orange every single day. Most days, to my shame, you know what I did that orange most days? Threw it away. I threw it away. I've, I've told this to my mom, by the way. Not that I need to. I'm 46. I don't need to tell my mother these kind of things. But I did. Uh, actually, she heard this message. And so I said, hey, uh, sorry about the orange. So, sorry. I probably, I probably wasted like $1,000 from sixth grade to whatever, senior year. I probably wasted $1,000 of oranges. And it wasn't because I didn't like oranges. I actually enjoyed oranges a lot. And it wasn't like I didn't think that the oranges were good for me. Do you know why I throw away the orange every single day? The 1% effort of getting into the orange. And let's just acknowledge that together, okay? It takes a little bit of effort to get into the orange, doesn't it? You have to make a decision. It's going it's, to, it's, it's a decision, Am I going to get into this or not? Am I going to experience sticky hands or not? Am I going to get the the stuff in my nails or not, right? Okay? But if you make the decision ahead of time that I'm going to get into it, it's worth it. It's worth it if I get into the orange. uh, If you just make the 1% effort, okay? So I'm going to do that right now. We're going to do this together. Oh, I'm going to do it, and you're going to watch me awkwardly (laughs) open up this orange, Okay? In a second, I'm actually going to really be awkward and eat it in front of you. And you're going <laughs> to please turn the mic down. It's really gross as you hear. Okay, we're almost through it. Love the little mandarin oranges. Oh, look, they just broke right in half. Look, it's just this beautiful fruit. Look at that. It's just got this hard shell. Well, not hard, but it's this shell on the outside, right? Some of you actually eat this. Um, uh you know who you are if you, so. Uh, it takes effort. It took effort. It took a second. It took effort. And my hands are sticky. I'm going to have to wipe them down later. But now you got the fruit, right? Here it is. It's there, okay? And now you enjoy the fruit. Thank you. That is just funny applause. Like, way to go. Okay. You want me to eat the whole thing? No, we're not going to do that. Anybody want some oranges? You guys. I'm going to toss these to you, okay? Okay. Here we go. One more. There we go. Thank you. Okay. I share that as an illustration because... It takes effort to get into God's Word. It just does. And we need to acknowledge that it takes effort. But that 1% of effort is worth 
uh, it's, 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 it's just worth it. It's just worth it every single day to do that every day. And it is going to be for us if we take the time to design a way to get into God's Word. Uh, you take our time, a place, and a plan and add as many of those ropes as we need into our life. It's going to be something that we hold on to. And God, God holds on to us. I'm not saying that it's not a representation of our faith. God holds on to us. But we experience joy as we hold on to His Word. That's our tangible way of experiencing God in 2024. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.